Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moran. So this week on the podcast, we have the brilliant Mags McAuliffe. Mags is an actor, a writer. She trained at the Gaiety School of Acting and she's best known for her incredible one-woman show, The Humours of Bandon. Uh, that was a fish amble show in a bag uh, a couple of years ago and obviously the Fringe Festival in Dublin has just finished up and I mean it was an amazing festival. So much great work comes out of that. And, I mean Mags has just got like incredible mileage out of this show only because it's absolutely brilliant. The demand for it's still there. She's still touring it internationally, nationally. It's absolutely incredible. Incredible, the success that this show has had. As well as that, Mags has worked with brilliant companies like Rough Magic. She was recently touring away in Norway, as we talk about. Uh, and yeah, she's just um, an all-round brilliant performer and is currently writing um, on the new Fish Amble scheme for New Plays in Ireland, which is uh, pretty, pretty sweet. So um, I'm excited to see what she's going to do next, and I'm excited for you to hear this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy the brilliant Mags McAuliffe playing Personality Bingo with Tom Morin. McAuliffe, ready to play personality bingo? Yeah. All right, sweet. So I'll give a quick explanation of how it all works. I've got 60 minutes on the clock here. Uh, I've got 60 questions in front of me and also 60 balls in the bingo machine. Um, uh, I should also say that I've given you five numbers on that sheet of paper. Would you do me a favour and read out the five? I've got 16, yeah. two, okay. three, yes. 41 right. and 39. Okay, nice one. Do me another favour. Uh, pick a sixth number, something between one and 60 that's not already there. Um, you are covering it very diligently, but you can tell me. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, it's nice. Happened. I appreciate it. It's been mysterious. Uh, fives. Five. Five. Mm, yeah, interesting. Number. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come to be? Um, I think it's because it was the number I was in the um, Ardgrad Award in the 2000 Irish Open Championships of Irish Dancing. Ah. And uh, I was a competitor number five, and I won. So I even remember the way the scoring went that day and what judges gave me how many points and even the numbers of the other competitors. It's a weird thing that just stuck in my head over yeah. the years. And it was back in 2000, so 18 years ago. Sweet. And yeah, so then when I went to write The Humours of Bandon, there's a section in it where there's like calculation of, of points and it's literally <laughs> the exact same way it went down. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. It was lucky in 2000. Will it be lucky today? <laughs> we'll see. And I should say that if it is lucky and you get all six of those numbers out, that means the tables are turned and you can ask me any question in the whole wide world. Wow. Well, uh, I've been playing the ladder for a few weeks now, so I know what the odds are of that happening. All right, all right. Here we go. <laughs> all right, let's give it a spin. Okay, here we go. First out the gate, we have number 27. Do you have it? No, I don't. No worries. Number 27. The question is, what is your relationship, if any, to the gym? To the gym? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very. We, we get on very well. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I joined Westwood more choice, better results in um, in 2000 when I moved, or 2010 when I moved to Clontarf. And... Initially, I went uh, with, you know, you, you get your initial trainer to talk you through the different machines and stuff. And I realized quite quickly that I didn't suit that sort of gym going experience because um, I needed someone to kind of give me uh, to sit on top of me, literally, <laughs> and just say, no, you need to do this now and you need to do that now. So the classes, the classes have been brilliant. So I go 
Um, well, I'm rehearsing at the moment, but generally I go half nine in the morning on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday. Mm. Um, they've got body attack on a Tuesday and a Friday. Very aggressive. And body pump on Monday Ooh. and Wednesday. So body pump is like weight training. Yeah. Um, but to music. And I, I appreciate that because it's kind of like choreography and weights together. And then body attack is... Um, is cardio and uh, interval training and that's also done to music. So, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, if you're if you're coordinated and stuff, you can really get into it. Mm. And it's high octane. It's, you, you know, you sweat loads and you're absolutely wrecked afterwards. And that's how I like to go to the gym, you know, really, really hit it hard. Because yeah. otherwise, like, what's the point of going? Do you remember going for your first class? Um, I do. What yeah. were the feelings? Um, were you nervous? For no, God, no, okay. no, no. So I did Irish dancing since I was five. Yeah. So that whole thing of going to a class is very natural to me. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Especially something where they're going to teach you something and then you have to try and, and mimic it. That's just second nature. And uh, so my first class was um, Zumba, but it wasn't really Zumba. Um, the American instructor said himself that he doesn't really do any Zumba steps. It was called, as he put it, and please try hard not to judge me here, uh, funk fitness. Oh. <laughs> Apple bottom jeans, <laughs> boots with the fur. Excellent. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I got mad into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, I had a great experience my first time. Is there another universe where you are touring the world with Riverlands? Uh, no, no, I was never that good. I, uh, I kind of, I, I liked Irish dancing. I like went to my classes twice a week, but I wasn't diligent enough to be practicing on the days that I wasn't in class. Mm. Um, but I Irish danced at a time when you, if you had a natural ability, you could rise up to the ranks, you know, I won't say easy enough, but like, you know, there was an opportunity to, and I was lucky enough to. And uh, so I did competitions certainly until I was like 22. But with regards to going off and doing shows, there weren't as many shows to join when I was 22. And also I went to university and that kind of took over. So I really just saw Irish dancing as this thing that I enjoyed uh, that kept me fit. And, you know, I could catch up with my friends from Irish dancing and stuff like that. But no, I never saw it as a, a career path necessarily. No. So, you know, let's say you had that same attitude to acting where you didn't want to go and pursue it to be a professional actor, okay? Yeah. And you had that relationship where you did it as a kid and then you might have, you know, done it up until you were 22 and, mm. and stuff in different, like, drama groups or whatever, you know, maybe, like, you know, drama soccer or whatever it was. Mm. And then you go, and if you as you don't want to pursue it as a career, you go and you do, like, your Amdram and, like, that's what you do for the rest of your life in conjunction with your day job. Is there something like that with Irish dancing? Because I don't know of a culture where adults dance non-professionally. Am I just ignorant? No, no, not at all. Um, I'd never call you ignorant, Tom. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, you can do... So, Brenton DeGalli, who was a lead dancer with Riverdance, he kind of took over from Michael Flatley when... Well, he was... Colin Dunn took over from Michael Flatley, but he took over from Colin Dunn, I believe. Um, he teaches adults Irish dancing in Dan's house every week. Oh. And um, they're really, really good classes because he caters them to suit your ability. So, you can do his beginner class and then he has an um, intermediate one and two. Mm. And then he's got advanced. So I went when I was kind of because I'd retired 11 years before I wrote The Humans Abandoned. So I was really dancing unfit. And, and it's a different fitness to be dancing fit is a whole different fitness to go into the gym. Right. Um, I, I, I realized that soon. Mm. And I so I went anyway to Dan's house and I joined Intermediate 2. 
thinking I won't quite jump in the deep end and go into advanced and intermediate two is really difficult. So yeah, it just gives you a, a kind of a um, an indication of uh, how well he caters for the people with different kind of abilities and stuff. But no, you can go do classes. And then I bumped into a girl only this week because um, I'm rehearsing in um, Liffey Trust Studios at the moment. So in my break time, we we're in the couches and there was this girl um, in, a, in a kind of a river dancey style Irish dancing costume, like like kind of a short kind of velvet thing um, and black tights. And she was going into one of the studios and then she was coming out intermittently. And I was like, oh, what's the story? You're an Irish dancer. And she said she does this thing called Irish Dance Party. Mm. So she's employed by this guy called Dan, who set up this company maybe 10 years ago where uh, visitors to Dublin and students and um, well basically anyone who wants to have a go goes to do a sort of uh, a day long all things Irish extravaganza so he plays tin whistle and the guitar and he sings all the Irish songs and he tells a few Irish stories and then he gets an Irish dancer in to teach kind of Kelly dances and then to do like little acapella Irish dance themselves or mm. maybe a hornpipe or something so you get like a little flavour of all the different things that make us Irish well in a kind of St. John and Gogarty's way <laughs> and uh, so yeah and then he said I was chatting to him then when he came out and he said that there is no shortage of Irish dancers to choose from because so many people they do it to such a high level now and then they're like okay what now like I have to keep dancing but I don't really want to dance in competitions because really you kind of retire when you're over the age 21 mm. like the competitions go like you know when you can do under five or under five under six under whatever all the way up to under 21 and then over 21 is a category right and it's kind of for those people that are like hanging on <laughs> but generally like other things take over then when you're like in your early 20s and yeah yeah it's time to give up but then you're like what do i do what do i do i'm yeah. brilliant at this really niche thing <laughs> yeah 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 it was one of them weird things i did a little bit of touring with like an irish dance company as a singer um oh, cool. with them so I, but i like got to know dancers but like uh, it's a their life is hard like i feel like they're totally like abused in the sense of like they are not paid proper like in my experience anyway I'm sure like different companies but it's just yeah. and like I don't know it just I'm sure they probably look at like actors or singers and say like or like look at it like well, how do you do that but I just I was like it was kind of mind blowing and how quickly they were just expected to go in pick it up know it you know what I mean like my shit was easy like you know you come in you know the song sure but like and then it was like you know hit your mark hit your mark hit your mark that's fine mm. you're gonna get through it but like uh, yeah tough life to me yeah, but like, did any of them seem to be struggling with the new material? No. You see, that's it. It's second nature learning steps. And people observe Irish dancing in a way where they're like, what wizardry is this? Yeah. Whereas it's just second nature to us. They're like, I remember I did a show up in Belfast called My English Tongue, My Irish Heart in 2015. Mm. And myself and a Belfast actress called Kerry Quinn um, were part of the cast of six or five. And at one point, um, so it was all about kind of Irish emigrating to England and your kind of displaced sense of um, uh, nationality and like who you are. And so uh, kind of halfway through rehearsals, uh, Martin Lynch, our director, found out that both myself and Kerry Quinn were Irish dancers. And he's like, oh, you have to do some dancing on the play. And I was like, grand, OK. Um, so I said, what do you want to do here, Kerry? And there was just like maybe eight 16 bars of music and she's like oh how about we just do da, 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 da. i was like yeah yeah yeah." and then he's just watching us going oh my god i can't believe that's done now you know and yeah. then we danced and he was like that was fun oh, <laughs> oh yeah that was fucking brilliant you know um 
so yeah, it, it probably wasn't such a struggle for those dancers on in the show to to pick up the new material. No. And the fact that they got to dance full time and get paid for it, that's their dream. Yeah. So it's not, di- you know, it wouldn't be difficult. I mean, obviously everyone would love more money, but... Uh, totally, yeah, 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 yeah. They were employed as Irish dancers. I'm yes. sure they were happy out. Yes, indeed. Right, mm. let's give another spin. All right, here we go. Number 39. Do you have it? Yes. Nice one. Sweet, you get to take it off. I get to take it off. You looked so expecting me. I'm you, like, what happens now? Yeah, you Confetti. need five. Yeah. <laughs> Bingo. Oh you need five more. Then. All right. Down. Here we go. Number 39. Um, oh my God, they're all health focused. Jeez, it looks like I'm trying to like intervene on your health or something. I just think you're really unhealthy. What is your biggest downfall when it comes to being healthy? To being healthy. Um, see, I've been pretty good lately. Mm. So... Um, so my boyfriend's parents um, gave up uh, kind of wheat, sugar, wheat, sugar, alcohol, you know, anything that's nice in this life, uh, dairy, yeah. um, uh, for, for health reasons, for, for different reasons, I won't get into it. But um, so then a couple of weeks ago, Rowan decided, hey, I won't, you know, I'm going to give it a go. And I thought, well, fuck it, if you're giving it a go, like maybe I will as well. So I've been really good lately. Um, and I've discovered this thing, well, that his mother told us about, uh, gram flour. Mm. Um, instead of, you know, um, pancakes, your traditional way, you can buy gram flour, which is essentially just mashed up chickpeas. And you can get it for two euro in, like for a kilogram in the Asian, Asian market there on St. William Street. And you just add a little bit of water and then whatever spice you want. So we put cinnamon in for kind of pancakes in the morning. Um, so yeah, ground flour, a little bit of water, cinnamon and delicious. Absolutely delicious. Mm. And a, like a lovely substitute for wheat. Um, and I've noticed like, well, I, I've lost weight without even trying. Well, like I know that sounds like trying, but that's that wasn't my objective. I sure. was just like, let's, you know, clean up the insides here a little. Um yeah, so it's it's I have loads of energy and all those things, little cliche things that people say. So my biggest downfall, certainly prior to that, would be um, evening times. Obviously, yeah, that sugar rush that kicks in when you get home. And in order to combat that, I wouldn't, you know, have any, uh, you know, what do they call it, rubbish in the house. Mm. Um, but then I would always my 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 snack of choice since I was a kid was always. Ballymillo uh, country relish on crackers and cheese yeah and uh, I discovered that if you put cheddar cheese on your Jacob's cracker now this is when you know crackers were basic enough if you put your cheddar cheese on a Jacob's cream cracker and put it in the microwave miraculously enough the cheese will melt but the cracker will stay crunchy now you're welcome right but uh, you put a little Valley Mullet Country Relish on that. And that was essentially my diet for many years. Yeah, so yeah. it only took until I moved out of home uh, in 2010 to kind of vary my, my culinary skills. And, and by vary, I mean I had three dishes. An omelette with black pudding in it. Um, black pudding and like green pepper and tomatoes and whatever else is in there. Maybe some sweet corn. Um, which was kind of like a meal. And now I had one of them last week and I was so full. I was like, oh, that's why I wasn't shifted any weight when I was going to the gym because I was having like this big meal in the morning. Um, and what else did I cook? I had a like a fried rice, fried brown rice dish with whatever veg was in the, in the fridge. And did I say I had three dishes? Just two really. Just two. Yeah. And now since then, I've increased that tenfold. 
I'm doing fish, Tom. I'm doing, um, I did onion bajis. Like Ooh. from scratch. Lovely. With this grand flower. When's the dinner party, man? <laughs> I know. I'm actually, I for the first time ever, I had people around and I cooked for them. Um, Orla Fitzgerald, you know Orla Fitzgerald? I don't know. She's an actress and uh, herself and her husband Rich came over a couple of weeks ago and I cooked for them and then I cooked for my boyfriend's sister and her partner. Um, so yeah, I'm um, I'm changed now. So that's an old question for the old mags. Well, excellent. And, and <laughs> with the new thing that you were doing with your uh, your fellas folks and, uh, yeah. and your, your boyfriend, are you off the drink at the moment as well? Uh, mm, I, I want to say yeah, but then I'm going to Norway with the collapsing horse tomorrow, so I yeah, don't know yeah, how long yeah. that's going to last. Like, I'm not a big drinker anyway. Sure. Like, I'm not one of these people that always has a drink in the fridge, like a glass of wine in the evening or beers or whatever. Uh, if I'm out in a night out, like, I'll certainly drink. Um, but I wouldn't be out every weekend, certainly not recently, so... I'm not a big drinker, so I haven't missed it. But yeah, obviously I'll be drinking yeah. when I go to Norway. Yeah, yeah. Pen- spending what ten euro on a pint? Oh, stop! <laughs> I know, I know, but yeah. it'll probably be beautiful. It'll be great. I don't know. I don't know. I think well, we were getting our um, kind of itinerary breakdown from Matt Smith yesterday. He's like, so if you're bringing drink, you know, from London Gatwick to Norway, remember you have to go through security. Um, so just keep bear that in mind, you know, put it in your big case. And uh, also, you know, do bring drink from Gatwick <laughs> because it's so expensive in Norway. Yeah. yeah. Right. Bonkers. Right. Well, you can report back in a couple of weeks. <laughs> All do. right. Let's give it a spin. OK, here we go. Number 10. Do you have it? No. No worries. Number 10. The question is, do you have a favourite quote? Uh, do I have a favourite one? Oh, Anyone does it come back to pop into the mind? Um, it's easy to make decisions when you know what your values are. Mm. I always like that one. That's excellent. Since I read it on one of those calendars. <laughs> you know, That's they have really good though. Yeah, I love that one. I think I could, yeah. That was, that, was, that was a good one for me to hear today as well, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Because, you, well, you know, like, as in, yeah, because, yeah, decisions, <laughs> decisions. <laughs> yeah, because decisions. Cause um, no, no yeah. but it's interesting, yeah, because even, you know, like... Uh, yeah, no, I suppose I'm just, uh, you're trying to, you know when you finish a job and then you've got like space in your calendar and like you, things are popping up you can fill it with and you're like, hmm, do I want to do that or do I want to leave the space for, you know, something I really want to do and yeah, yeah it's interesting, like that's always been a battle for me because I love being busy, you know, yeah. I love it and I love working but then, you know, sometimes there are things that you don't necessarily need to be working on right now and it, it might be better served just to have time to do your own projects and you know use that time for something you really believe in rather than um, just kind of filling it for the sake of it for filling it because if I that's why one thing I realised about myself yeah. recently was like I love the feeling of being busy and like you know like recently I was at a, a funeral and you know people are always asking me they're like oh, so what's next you know like any mm. social gathering like that and it's lovely when you can I love the feeling of being able to say well this and that mm. and wrapping up in a nice little bow because that feels nice but yeah. it, it's not necessarily a good way like that's a terrible reason to be busy to have something to say yeah but that's not, that probably wouldn't be your objective or that no. probably wouldn't be why you're saying that no it wouldn't but like now I'm trying to be a bit more choiceful about what I'm doing and I, I'm for the first time probably like since I've been out of drama school I've been confronted with that thing of just trying to say oh nothing and yeah. being okay with that and sitting into that's it. hard for me yeah, yeah yeah well you do seem to be the, a, a very busy person and certainly you're this podcast has been going for so many episodes. I was having a little look back. I was like, oh my yeah, God. We're nearly at 100. Really? Yeah, That's amazing. Nearly at 100. You know? And yeah. even like when, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but like the email came in to do it and 
I was in the cinema and like it was you'd send me the kind of first contact via social media and then you're like if you have your email address and as soon as you got my email address you were straight on it and then right. like here are our time slots and they were for like a couple of days time it's like boom 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 and I was like oh wow that's more, that must be why he gets so much done <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 interesting that's funny that it comes across like that yeah and was that did you find that like in t- like in too impressive. much impressive not like too much no, or intimidating or intense impressive. Oh, that's good oh yeah. thank you yeah. yeah yeah well I was delighted you did it because it's funny you have this it's weird with the with like doing the podcast and for having so many episodes because I kind of I think I got to like 40 and I was like and, and you, then sometimes you feel like oh I'm running out of people and then it's amazing because then you, you start meeting people I think like the first time I would have been aware of you but I think the first time we met was at the Fishamble writing day That's I right. think yeah, I'm right yeah, in saying yeah, that yeah. and um, and then you're like oh yes this would be great because I'd seen your brilliant show uh, The Humorous <laughs> oh, Band yeah humorous. I did yeah yes. and loved it and um, so yeah it's really funny how like it's kind of like something like this could probably actually go forever and you'd probably find interesting people to like talk to I'd say for like much longer than you'd anticipate. Do you do you have an end point in sight? I'm gonna hit a hundred. Okay. I'm gonna hit a hundred. You're gonna hit a hundred. Great. And uh, you will too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah really yeah. soon. Like probably definitely before Christmas. Wow. Yeah, definitely. What a milestone. You should celebrate that now. Yeah, obviously. yeah. And then, then and then I'll kinda of touch base with it because um it was funny Angus was in and obviously Angus has the oh. brilliant uh, Irish theatre podcast and uh the series up to like forty nine. Yeah, 60, like so like we actually probably have a almost identical number Nary, I'd say yeah, his is spread yeah. out a little bit more yeah. but um and uh but he, we, we, he was talking about that and he was like I've always been afraid of being like the interview guy because mm-hmm. that's not what he wants to be and nor is it really what I want to be I just it's fun talking to people though and you know it's yeah, fun to put stuff yeah, out yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh yeah it's interesting but um I love doing it it's, and even when I was saying to you it's lovely to just switch off your phone and sit in front of someone that you don't know particularly well and uh and just get on the same level and get to know them a bit better. Yeah, that's for a lovely sure, thing. For sure. Yeah. I don't even know if we answered your question, but we did. You asked me for my favorite quote, and I said it's easy to make decisions. When you I said I needed it, so then I just made it all about myself. Ah, oh, no, it was good. It was <laughs> good. Changed it up a bit. Yeah, right. Let's give it a spin. All right, here we go. Uh, number twenty-six. Do you have it? No, I don't. No worries. Number twenty-six. The question is, what is your most treasured relationship with someone over the age of sixty-five? Oh, lovely. Lovely. Um, well, he's just about there because he's 65. Yeah. But my mum's first cousin is a guy called Noel McCarthy. Mm. And Noel, so Noel was heavily involved in amateur theatre, still is, for oh, like for his whole working life. So when he um, left school, he went into the bank. Mm. Um, and that was that was Dublin back in the... What are you? 70s would that be right mm-hmm. um, but then he would always say that theatre and he pronounces it theatre which I love I love that as well yeah. <laughs> yeah. theatre was my mistress you know uh. and he would do his full day work in, in Bank of Ireland then go straight into Le Touche Players which was um, a kind of a, a drama group set up by Bank of Ireland they used to operate out of do you know Central Bank they used to have the wax museum in there yeah that, so that's where Latouche players oh. um, used to put on their shows and stuff. But uh, even before that, like he's he did the one act festival circuit and like the, and the and the full length plays and everything like that. So I didn't always know I wanted to be an actor. I I kind of came across it when I was seventeen. I played a part in Candide, the Leonard Bernstein's Scottish opera, mm. um, for Belvedere College, and. You know the way they they look for females to play their female parts okay. and stuff like that. So uh, yeah. I did 
I, I had a part in that and I absolutely loved it. It was 2000 and it was um, a great year for Michael. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was the opening of the O'Reilly Theatre. So it was the first kind yeah. of show that was going in there. And um, I absolutely, I got high off it. So then I had a look at the CAO and I was like, oh God, you know, I think I really want to do this. And um, mom was, well, as supportive as an Irish parent would be. She's like, you know, maybe, you know, yeah. Well, maybe do a degree and then, you know, get the bit of paper. And then, you know, you can always do your acting outside of that. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I did. I did the degree. But um, after I finished, so I spent most of my time in uh, DCU. I did multimedia in DCU, Excellent. which was a creative course. You know, it was audio visual, audio imaging or sorry, digital imaging, digital audio, digital video and web production, web design. And it was. 2001 to 2005 so it was like things were just starting to kick off then um i remember one of our video lecturers was like telling us that we were going to be watching videos on our phone in in the next five years and i was like he's a crazy lunatic um but anyway i digress i spent most of my time in dc drama so when i finished i needed to fill that void and noel i met at my aunt's funeral in 2005 like properly as an adult i'm sure i met him as a kid and Noel's again, he was just kind of surveying me, you know, he was kind of looking at me, you know, in, in the room and he was like, what's your story now? And I was like, oh, well, I just finished college and I don't really know. Um, I said, I think I want to be an actor. And he went, bullshit. And I was like, I, I, I want to be an actor. He went, bullshit. I was like, no, no, I, I do. I want to be an actor. And my voice nearly <laughs> came down in tone the more he made me like really know that that is like if that's something that I wanted to do I needed to fucking announce it you know mm. and kind of stick up for myself or stick up for it or something and then he just went are you any good and I said yeah I think I am and he just kind of he kept moving towards me kind of bellying me into the corner like and are you any good and are you any good and I was like Jesus so he said come down next Tuesday the two are doing an open audition for their latest show that they're taking on to the one act festival circuit and uh, come down and we'll see if, if you're any good and I went down the following Tuesday and I got cast um, in The Fat Lady Sings a Little Grimly and we did it in like we did a few different venues all around the country and uh, there were kind of uh, festival awards in each of the venues and I won like best supporting actress in, in one of them and I was like oh, you know other people think I'm good too and I he's someone whose opinion I just I I just put on high because nobody in the family that none, none of them are really interested in the performing arts and if they do go to see plays it's because I'm in them and stuff like that and my mom would often say like since I was a, a, a child she'd say you know you were born into the wrong family we know that you know like yeah, yeah. and and so he just seemed to get it you know and so when I decided to go at it full time and I said I wanted to do training he tried to dissuade me actually from doing the training. He said, you know, get, get your job and do it in the evenings and I'll do plays with you. And he just didn't want me to let go of that financial security, I guess. Yeah. But I was like, no, I want to do it full time and I want to go training. And so he helped me out with my um, audition pieces. I went to RADA. I got through to the third round of RADA with his help. And he like I'd go up to the teacher's club and we'd take a room up there and he'd do hours with me, you know, uh, like three hours easy after mm. work. And be so energized even at the end of the three hours, you know, because I'd be doing a line and be like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. <laughs> so I cherish our relationship. He was like when I was away traveling, 
I went traveling around the world when I left um, DCU because um, I knew I'd never be able to take that year out again. And I was in deep in the like back of nowhere in Cambodia. And I went to see a kind of, um, a, I suppose they called him like a very, very holy monk, but he had like a gift. And we had a, an interpreter there because we were staying with this girl who um, worked with an interpreter and she was teaching them about conservation in the villages. And I said, he said, what do you want to know about? And I said, career, <laughs> says the traveler. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, career. And he said, you have a father-like figure in your life who's going to help you out in that regard. And then I just immediately thought of no, you know. And so, yeah, he's always been very supportive towards me. Uh, certainly, I did my training and um, he goes to see my shows. And But outside of that, like we meet up and I just love chatting to him about theatre and um, about life. And we just get on so well. I'm absolutely mad about him, yeah. You know what you said about uh, your mum saying you're born in the wrong family? Yeah. And obviously, that, I assume that was meant like in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, like, you know. In no. A, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, she hates me. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that. Just like, she doesn't know where I came from. Like, yeah. yeah but yeah. do you ever feel like, is there, is, what, what's your sense that? Are you glad that your family don't really get it? Or is there like ever a loneliness where you kind of would love to be like, just sit down at your mum and dad and tell them about something very specific to the industry that really people who have no connection with it wouldn't really get? Like, do you find comfort in that or a loneliness in that? I, I, I think um, it's a good question, but I don't think there's an answer for it mm. because it's the way it is. Sure. So I, I, I know certainly throughout, um, I'll answer it in the kind of way that I, I see her involvement in my Irish dancing as it progressed, mm. uh, which was zero, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. other than like being stalwart in terms of giving me lifts and like providing the money for costumes and, and shoes and all the rest and competitions. Uh, she'd be sitting in the car and um, reading her book. She tinnitus in her, she has tinnitus in her left ear. So she's reading her book in the car and the, the deal was I'd go out and I'd tell her when I was dancing so that she wouldn't have to sit through the entire competition. Mm. So I this is the early days now when she actually brought me to the competitions because as I got, got a bit older then my Irish dancing teacher knew that she had no interest and said, look, I'll bring her. So my Irish dancing teacher used to bring me to everything. But anyway, she'd be sitting in the car and I'd go out to the car and I'd knock on the window. She rolled down the window and I'd be like, Mom, we're dancing in five minutes. She looked at me and she goes, is it five now or is it ten? <laughs> she did not need to be there any longer than possible. Then was absolutely necessary. And then, and then I had a friend, Kathy Milliken, and her mom was extremely, um, kind of dedicated and knew exactly what she was looking at when she went to the competitions. It was heavily involved, and um, she, you know, she, herself and her sister used to come home on a Sunday night and and talk about um, the competitions with their mom and who got what and all of that. Mm. Like, and my mom didn't have a clue. And certainly from from what you, you asked me there, I did feel when I was younger, oh, like I'd love if if mom would be like, come on now, you're practicing because maybe then I'd be, you know, maybe then I'd practice. But sure, that's not that's not going to make you practice. You yeah. know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it is what it is. And in a way, I kind of really appreciate that she still was so supportive towards me even though she had no interest in it Mm. and kind of you can't expect your parent or your family to be interested in the same things that you are because isn't that the most wonderful thing that you all have different interests it's also the thing that like might um 
annoy you by day three at Christmas time when you're like all living under one roof. You're like, oh my God, I'm a middle child again. No one gets me. Yeah, yeah. But um, that's, um, it's good. It's grounding and uh, it adds colour to your life to have to go back to your family and to not have a clue. So my, my brother's doing clinical psychology. Um, so he'd have fascinating kind of viewpoints on things. And then my sister works in the hospitality industry. So she's like got stories to beat the band about that side of things. My mom's a nurse, you know, um, my dad was my dad was a pilot. Um, so and my and my aunts are teachers. So it was all like everyone has their thing that they're mm. good at. And um we're not all expected to be all things to all people. So you've made acting your thing and writing to an extent as well. So like, do you, sometimes I wonder about this with, with myself maybe. It's like, do you, is there any part of you that is, the reason that you chose this career is still like that way of like trying to pull, you know, your mum's attention. Like, <laughs> it, like is, or am I, am I doing basic bit psychology here? No, 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 no. I mean, I'm sure I'd say you're trying there, all right? Yeah, I am. I'm doing my best. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not like, look at me. Sure, I, I'm the only one in the family with red hair. Like, that was looked after. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mom tells a story uh, of my first Irish dancing class. Right. And I know I, I know I keep bringing it back to Irish dancing, but in a way, it's kind of, because that's that side of my life is finished, it's easier to kind of look back and observe. And I guess we... Our, our approach to things doesn't change. So it's kind of easy. So that's why I keep going back to it. My first Irish dancing class, she was only kind of advised to put me in Irish dancing because she said I was a very clumsy child. Hmm. Me eating my food, it'd be all over me. I'd be running around. I'm tripping over my feet. Now I'm like, I was five as well. So I think she kind of <laughs> um, jumped the gun a little. But anyway, she got advice. She said she didn't want me starting school and having the other kids slag me for being clumsy and she said and you already had the red hair and I was like found <laughs> so she got advice to send me to Irish dancing so reluctantly, like, reluctantly as far as she's concerned because she's no interest and in, you know wouldn't know a reel from a jig or you know and the music annoyed her but she brought me down to my Irish dancing class anyway. and an hour later she came to collect me and I was sitting cross-legged and I was staring up at the stage and she said come on now Margaret it's time to go and I was like Mommy, the big girls are on the stage. And the teacher came over and said, oh, God, like, if you, if you want to just leave her there and do your messages, collect your son or whatever, she's going to be fine because I've got the intermediate starting now and, like, I'll keep an eye on her. So mom did. And she went off and she came back. She said, an hour later and you hadn't moved. And it was like, Mommy, you know, the big girls are on the stage. And she said she knew in that moment, oh, there's some, this, the, you know, this is something that... It, she is going to be very passionate about mm. that I don't understand but I'm going to do what I can to support her mm. so yeah it's not like I, I I think as kids we're if we're lucky and I am extremely lucky um, we're kind of open to loads of different um, avenues and activities and stuff and mom would throw us into everything to see what stuck and was delighted in what stuck. So okay. for me, it was Irish dancing. And essentially, I think, coming back to my basic psychology, <laughs> is that it was the performance. It was the, oh my, the big girls are on the stage. It was the performance element. Yeah. With my brother, it was tennis. And mom was delighted when something stuck. Because she said, you know, especially my, my brother in the tennis, you know, she said, if he came in from school and he was having a bad day and, you know, he'd go out and he'd play a game of tennis and he'd come back in then and he'd totally relax. And that's it. And me on a Tuesday night, 
I'd be fighting myself and my brother used to fight like cats and dogs and we go to Irish dance I go to Irish dancing and I come back at nine o'clock and everything was right in the world and she loved that mm. that's the thing like she says and she says to this day if you go back to what used to make you happy when you were a very young child that will always bring you peace so for her whenever she'd go to her granddad's house she would like pull up in the car and she wouldn't even go to the house she'd run into the woods and she'd go exploring and certainly when we were growing up she was always very fit and she played badminton and tennis and all of that and then it was only after um kind of many years i think when she turned about 60 just before 60 she joined um uh, a kind of a, a walking group and they used to go to Glendalough and, and arrange trips and stuff like that and she started walking and now there's no stopping her yeah. she is oh my god she's done Machu Picchu she goes to the Alps she wants to do base camp Kilimanjaro she is like so passionate about walking and hiking and she just kind of smiles to herself going god I always knew it like as in I used to love when I was a kid and of course that's the thing that brings me peace now you know and she's like 65 now yeah. she absolutely lives for it so no I wouldn't say I did it in order to get to, for her to, 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 to get attention from her um, it was just I was really supported in finding a passion and following it yeah yeah, yeah that's gorgeous alright let's give it a spin alright here we go number 12 do you no, have that one? No, I don't. No worries. Number 12. Do you ever wish you were born as the opposite gender? No. 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 Like, you'd be curious, all right. I remember doing um, a piece for In the Gaiety in second year. We did Manifesto. I'm sure you've heard of Manifesto. Before. Yeah. And uh, the piece I did was taking off this kind of... Um, uh, it was a guy called Dimitri. And people can, like, YouTube this, but... Uh, he is meant to have been out on a night out and have met, met a woman and she gave him her number and uh, this is the voice message that he sends her and then she doesn't reply and then the second uh, bit of it is the, is the next message he sends her after she hasn't replied and it's an absolute scream and I took it for face value I thought it was a real thing and I was subsequently found out it was completely fabricated ah. but I thought this is brilliant and I'm just going to this is my piece I'm going to do this you know as it exists. So I was playing this guy, you know, and this really, really cocksure, arrogant, um, kind of stubborn, like prick, basically. And I decided to ask one of the guys in my class, uh, Kevin Shackleton, I was like, can I, um, you played rugby, can I get that like shield thing <laughs> off you? And he's like, all right. So I put the shield thing on and I stuffed it with a sock or whatever and I had, you know, slacks on and stuff like that. And I was just kind of walking around the space trying to get into character. And I was like, I know this sounds terrible, but I was like, I'm so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just like, it's right there. And yeah, what about it? You know, now that's very rudimentary and it's very basic because I feel powerful as a woman too, of course. Sure. But um. I, and then I did think for that day, I was like, it'd be fun to switch maybe for a week. Yeah. So I think it'd be fun to switch for a week. But be born as another sex? Nah. Yeah. Nah. Because, nah. I mean, it's it's just one of them fast. Like, I mean, it's probably always fascinating. But like at the moment, just like the the way like gender roles and the way like, you know, just just without like I mean I'm not going to come into all the different movements but like it's just things have been really like drastically changing over the mm. like you know with 
just I mean like all the scandals and allegations and all like the really brilliant stuff it's a it's a real fascinating time I'm, I'm sure to be a woman it's a fascinating time to be a man as well because yeah. I mean especially like a young man because you know I don't have maybe the disadvantage that like my father or my grandfather might have of like having you know years of being brought up in a system where like a lot of those negative patriarchal behaviours were left unchallenged like for me I've kind of grown up where like I would have seen them being quite consistently challenged so you're maybe a little bit more aware like I've grown up with a little bit more awareness it's a really fascinating time though because even at that you're still constantly kind of looking around and you see it with your different friend groups whether it be friends from home or friends you know maybe within like the, the artistic community or whatever and like the difference is it's, it's really interesting that like because it's just it's certainly for me it's really on like the forefront of everything because mm. I mean societally and on social media and everything it's kind of right there too mm. like it, it, it's one of them things I don't wish I was born the opposite gender too but like it would probably be a really good exercise <laughs> to see what it was like you know well, would you have to be born as the opposite sex could you not just exist as the opposite sex for like a, a while yeah. you know maybe not a week I don't know but yeah. um and it's because if you're born as a you never know any difference yeah. do you know what I mean but I it's funny um, I obviously welcome all those movements as they as they came to pass and um, had kind of had uh, seen misogyny before um, before waking up you know mm-hmm. I, I'd seen it from I'd say my became aware of it really my late 20s you know and then once it's like once you see it, you can't unsee it, mm-hmm. and it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was on every billboard. It was every comment when you were into work. When you went to work, and and you just kind of put up with things as you did, in that wonderfully strong way. And then when every when the movement started to gain traction and people were becoming really really vocal, um, I certainly um, I welcomed that change, but also, I don't, I don't feel like a consistent level of anger or I don't feel hard done by that I was born a woman and I I know that certainly I'm I'm um maybe I'm gullible or maybe I let things go over my head I kind of enjoy that about myself mm. I um I think I I remember uh I did one of those film videos for vote with us for the marriage equality referendum mm. and um and it wasn't to, to, to diminish my point or anything, but I was uh, talking about being born with red hair and would be getting slagged for having red hair, obviously, the Oliver thing. <laughs> and um, but I never understood why calling me a redhead was a slag in itself. Because it was like, you red hair, ah, ha, ha. And I remember like, I, and you blonde hair. I don't get why that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. And that isn't, you know, like I never understood it. So in a way, like blissfully unaware like I, I have lived my life as a woman and I'm sure there have been um, kind of comments made about me that wouldn't have been made about me had I not been born a woman but they weren't said to my face and thankfully um, I have grown up confident enough to speak up for myself if they ever were and I certainly got a name for myself so I worked in as a waiter for in lots of different restaurants for about 10 years mm. And I remember when Waking the Feminist happened, I was um, asked to speak on behalf of Lise Turney Kyo, who couldn't be present that day. And she had written a lovely piece. And so um, I was lucky enough to be performing on the stage, surrounded by all these really like powerful, intelligent, creative, like fascinating women. And then and then looking out into the Abbey 
uh, into the Abbey and it was sold out and everyone was there smiling back to you in support. Like not even smiling. There was there was it, there was a, an electric energy I- in the room that day. Mm. And we all felt it. Um, but I remember particularly Grace Dias stood up to respond um, towards the latter end. And she said, I want to know what practical steps we can make today. So this is all very well and good that we're being vocal, but what can we do from here on in? Like what what steps can we take? And she said, I know myself that no longer am I going to let that sort of stuff fly. So if I hear comments or whatever, I'm going to stand up for myself, even if it makes me difficult or even if people are going to be talking about me. And I remember like listening to her and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do that too. So the next time I went into the restaurant, um, one of the lads in the kitchen say something about one of the one of the customers and uh, I pull them up on it and they're like, all right, touchy. And I was like, no. And I, I made that change. Right. And then a- after a while, I mean, they, they loved taking the piss anyway. And that's kind of like um, they, they were very kind of fun loving kitchen staff um, or chef staff. So they were always looking for a joke and a, a way to um, take the mick out of you. So I became known as this like angry feminist <laughs> and uh, so they'd like ham it up if I came into the kitchen. Like, oh, no, we can't talk about that now. Would you look who's after walking in? Um, and I kind of I didn't mind that. I was like, yeah, you can say what you like. But then the best thing happened. So right before I left, I um, was sitting down with the head chef and owner of the restaurant and we had had our lunch and um, his chefs had gone back to the kitchen to start prepping for 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 dinner. And he goes, because he had two daughters. Mm. He has, um, he had a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And the six-year-old um, loves pink and frills and writing in her notebooks and um, was wearing, uh, I think, white sparkly boots and the little cowboy boots she wanted to wear for her communion dress and all of that. She got so into it. And his four-year-old wanted a gad jersey for her birthday and she wanted to become a fire person when she was grown up. And he goes... Um, I'm looking for a new chef in the kitchen. I was like, all right. And he said, uh, yeah, I've been trying to look for a girl, actually. <laughs> I was like, really? He goes, yeah, just, you know, it'd be good to like change it up a bit. I was like, fucking brilliant. And he goes, because the young one, she wants to be a fire person when she grows up. I'm like, there's no reason why she shouldn't be able to do that. And he knew he could talk to me about this. And yeah. I just thought, you know what? My, my work here is done. That's all it takes is just you to kind of even if you, you you have to withstand a few little jibes and stuff like that, the, the movement is happening because people are open to change. Mm. And I don't see like an us and them. I don't see like the kitchen staff at that time as my enemy. And I was on this side and they were on that side. Sure, they were like pulling fun and stuff like that. But they were also with every kind of thing I said, they were like opening their mind up a little bit every time. And now we, yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm I'm really enjoying the open discourse now, but there's no anger and there's no bitterness on like for certainly from my side. Mm, yeah. Mm. On the issue. Yeah. Which is so lovely because like, as in, and obviously like the anger and bitterness, like it, it it's totally understandable because yeah, if you feel yeah. like you've been repressed your whole life, fucking hell, fair enough. Like it's yeah. not something I, I don't understand what that's like. So I'd never police anyone's emotions on it. But as you said, like it is just, I think it's so much more conducive to like open discourse because you know, yeah, and again, you don't want to fall into the the trap of like making excuses for people who've been like um, 
perpetrating misogyny but at the same time if people do feel attacked then they go into defensive mode and they'll go back to what they always know mm. you know what I mean it's very hard to have an open heart if you feel like you're going to get crucified mm. do you know what I mean mm. so like it's yeah that's a gorgeous story where and it's amazing how the universe can sometimes do that as well like that I, I don't want to get all like earthy about it but like that no, man I love all that stuff. Was, but he was given two <laughs> two daughters and like I mean then one of them no. just you know w- w- suddenly wants to go into a job that like stereotypically is probably a very male dominated industry mm, yeah. and I mean it just you know it forces him to tilt his perspective I mean yeah. that's gorgeous isn't yeah. it yeah, yeah it's it lovely is. when it's that life happens affirming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that he's open to that uh, totally yeah yeah totally yeah. which is yeah. so, which is so a lovely wonderful person. right let's give it a spin alright here we go whoa very popular role there alright we have number 9 do you have it no I don't no worries number 9 the question is in your industry who is a person that you haven't yet worked with and you would love to oh so many I know so many who was the first name that came into your head Um. like the first name that came to my head I, I never like to go with the first option <laughs> <laughs> Um, because it's just the obvious one sure. but like I've never I've never worked uh, with Druid um, but then I just think of the amount of people but that's just like a we're nearly not conditioned to say that but like that's just something that comes to the forefront yeah. um, of your imagination when you ask a question like that but um, I would love to work with um, so I did a reading I did a reading in um, the Lear the Masters programme uh, of playwriting mm. Um, and I was just hired in to do the reading to, to kind of demonstrate their work. And uh, Una Murphy directed it. And I remember getting on really well with her mm. in the rehearsal room. I thought she was so astute, so smart, so open. Um, and just I put a lovely finish on everything. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed working with her. Um, I've auditioned for her before. So, yeah, I think I would I would enjoy working with Una. Um, who else? Who else? Um, I'm working at the moment with Dan Colley, who's somebody that I've wanted to, who I would have answered with mm. if you talked to me maybe three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, which is great. I love the way he works. It's uh, he's so um generous with the ideas of whatever's floating around in the room at the time, and he'll he'll do things like oh, what you said there. Just put this in mind. Do you know this video? Blah blah blah. And it's not necessarily related to the work Mm. but it came into his head for a reason and he's going with it Mm -hmm. and that's the way I that my my mind works too um and so when I had a moment like that he would he would like be really really open to see where that went Mm. um and so yeah I'm really really enjoying working with him what are the things that people you enjoy can you spot things whether that be like on stage or uh, like I mean actors or directors or writers whatever it might be mm. are, can you see a common thread of like traits or things that um that you're attracted to or like you think make a good director or you think make a good actor I think in terms of direction I personally really um, enjoy when they display a confidence in terms of knowing what the show is now that isn't to say that I want them to have everything worked out before day one nothing like it but that they will demonstrate a kind of a forethought of a direction they want it to go, at least. Mm. If I go into a rehearsal room with somebody who is just feeling everything out and is working in that sort of like, well, I don't know, well, let's just see what happens. 
I I don't know if it's like the Irish dancer in me, but I'm like, yeah, but what's the step? Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, I don't really, I, I think I feel like I'm just kind of in the murky waters there. I don't really, yeah, yeah. I don't really, um, I don't know if I trust myself in those situations. I think that's more the point. Yeah. I like people to take charge and not, you know, say this here and go there and do that. But I they have to know what's the vibe, yeah. what's what's the kind of flavor, what's the color that they want for the for the particular production. Yeah, totally. So what it was just interesting what you said there about like, you know, the first one that came to your head was Druid. And you're like, in a way, we're conditioned to do that. I completely empathize with that. What is the what's your relationship with your own career in the sense of like, obviously, you know, you did something like um, Show in a Bag, which is obviously an amazing opportunity for anyone and then your show was like particularly successful and you know is still running to stay which is amazing you've done stuff on the Abbey stage with Anna Karenna and all that kind of stuff what is your relationship with your career in terms of like I know sometimes we can see it as like a dirty word but like ambition and what you want to do going forward because obviously those two things like to have a you know like a let's be frank about like a hit show that you've written like that would be on a lot of people's bucket lists I'm sure and to be on the Abbey stage again on a lot of people's bucket lists mm. how do you look at what you want to do going forward having achieved those two things in the kind of uh, recent past um, interesting question I, I I think writing Humours Abandon was something that I did when I was going through an involuntary hiatus, <laughs> we'll say, in my acting. Um, it was in 2016, and I had worked with um, Rough Magic in 2013. We did Digging for Fire. And then 2014, I was touring with Jezebel with Rough Magic. So we, we were kind of, we went to London and Paris and all over Ireland. And I rem- and, and, and Glasgow as well, I think. And I remember going, oh my God, like our first date on the tour um, was in the lovely backstage theatre in Longford mm. and we walked in and they're so nice there they have like a plate of sandwiches ready for you yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and warm smiles that, yeah. and oh my god they're so gorgeous and I was in the change room and they're like and there's your towel and change rooms just adorned with like posters of all different shows and you know you can smell the people that have been in there not in a gross way but in a you know kind of awe-inspiring way mm. and Valerie O'Connor, who was playing Jezebel, she left to go talk to Peter or something. She was I was in the dressing room on my own and I was looking in the mirror and I started crying with happiness. And Val came in, she's like, Oh Max, are you all upset? I was like, No, I'm just really happy. <laughs> um and that was for me, I was like, Okay, now, you know, after doing profit share, so I graduated in two thousand and ten and I did profit share shows for three years and then this uh, Digging for Fire was 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 a great opportunity for me, um, and I was so grateful to Lynn for kind of um, well as she wasn't directing the show, Matt Torney was directing the show and associate director with Rough Magic, but uh, for them taking a punt um, on a, a kind of an unknown actress, mm. um, I didn't have an agent at the time, and I really really appreciated working with them. And then when it got to Jezebel, I was like, okay, now I'm on tour with with Rough Magic. Okay, now things are really going to take off, and I don't know I don't know what take off meant, but it just meant my objective has always been to go from job to job to job. I'm sure you've heard that answer a million times before. Um, and then after Jezebel, that was it. <laughs> like as in for a while, 2015 then I did my English song Irish Heart, which took me up to Belfast. And I got to know a whole different um, circle of people up there and um, support networks. And I thought, wow, like there's there's so much going on, on up here. This is very interesting. Um, and we were up there for 
a while and then we did a tour down the west coast of Ireland and then mm. we went to London and Manchester and then after that finished I was offered a job in the new theatre which I turned down actually it was the first time I had turned down work it was yeah. like a straight job offer and I read the script and I thought this isn't ready yet and I I don't think I'd enjoy going in to rehearse this and again it's easy to make decisions when you know what your values are I thought I value my time more than going into work on this um so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it down and that was scary right because I was like working as a waitress and couldn't wait for my next acting gig and here it was and it wasn't even an audition it was job offer and I turned it down I was like well now we're very scared so I and I worked, back, worked in, in the restaurant that Christmas and then coming into 2016, I had nothing on the horizon. And uh, I was very down and I still didn't have an agent. I was just like, what in the name of God am I going to do here? And then the show in a bag deadline was looming. And I was like, do you know what? I'll just write this. So I wrote it because of reasons other than, oh, I really want to write. So I wrote the show and I didn't think it was any good. I remember it, Stephanie Preisner directed it. Um, who I trained with in the Gage School of Acting and um, she wasn't actually going to direct it initially. I wanted Ronan Phelan to do it and he was going to be on tour in the Abbey or in with the Abbey in America and so he couldn't do it and then I said, well, Stephanie thinks and he's like, why did you ask Stephanie? And in one of those weird moments, she rang the next morning and was like, so what did, what did Ronan say? I was like, well, he had a crazy idea. <laughs> <laughs> he said you might direct it and she was like, yeah, go on. <laughs> so we did it. She had a very tight schedule. So we kind of worked out, you know, little pockets here and there that she could direct it. So she directed anyway. I'm waffling now. But two weeks before it went up, we went to get a tea break. We were rehearsing in Fringe. And she's like, what's wrong with you? You're really quiet. And I said, the play is shit. It's terrible. And I'm awful in it. And I've wasted the last six years of my life. That's where I'm at at the moment. And she's like, okay. I could stand here and convince you that you're wrong, but um, I've more respect for your intelligence than that. I know it's going to go in one ear and out the other. Um, you're not going to start believing in the show until it's up in front of an audience. But until then, we've work to do. So come on. So it was the best thing mm. for me. There was none of this rubbing my back. Oh, no, it is good. None of that. She was yeah. like, tough love. Come on, yeah. let's do it. So in, in, in performing it in rehearsals, I was scarlet. I was embarrassed. I thought this is just not good, you know, and then it went up in front of an audience and they really connected with it. And I thought there's something in this. And the first preview I tried now, I got myself out of it and stuff, but like I wasn't really that over the moon with it. But then the second performance, the opening night went really well. And I I was energized by it. I've, I've never felt in my life, how I felt when I came off after opening night of Humor's Abandon in the Fringe in 2016. It was it was a, it was a, a game changer. And I say that because directly after that, I got Anna Krenina and it, and it was a job offer that came in following from Humor's Abandon, actually. Mm. And I thought I, I remember getting the news. I was cycling <laughs> down Georgia Street. Um, shouldn't have been on my headphones, but I was. <laughs> and it was Kelly Phelan at the time. And she's like, oh, I want to offer you a part in Anna Krenina. And I was cycling at the time, as I said, so I was just like, sorry, what's that? Do you, do you want me Sorry, you want me to uh, audition for Anna Krenna? And she went, no, no, it's a job offer, Howard. Well, well that's, that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> I got off the phone and I bawled crying with happiness again. And I thought, this is it, because 
I wanted to be on stage and I'd gate her the Abbey within five years of leaving drama school. Mm. And here it was. And I remember opening night of Anna Karenina standing backstage and I thought, God, this is the thing that I've been aiming towards. But I felt infinitely more energised and more excited and more inspired on the smallest stage in Dublin performing The Humour's Abandon than I do right now. Like, I certainly enjoyed my time doing Anna Karenina, but it wasn't anything like how I felt when I was performing The Humour's Abandon. So I now trust that. And why? So, why? There's something in, when you write something and create it yourself and perform it, you're really like opening yourself up to huge criticism, first of all. You're wearing your heart in your sleeve in a way that I do when I talk to people, like mm-hmm. when I communicate with people. Um, I'm very, very open, maybe too honest. Um, but that's who I am. And you're and that's how I'm best able to express myself when I'm doing when I'm doing a show like Humours. Um, and when I'm part of a team and Anna Karenina, it all works. It all runs very well. Um, I'm a great team player and I'll definitely, you know, I'll never miss my cues and I'm very, very diligent. And I had like, um, I had loads of ins and outs and costume changes. I think I had like 15 costume changes and them all color coded and I pasted them on the back, back of the wall. And, you know, like I was in work mode, mm-hmm. but it was nearly like I was, I was in one-on-one Talbot and I had, you know, a very busy section that night or something, Do you know, like it was, I'm working here, but, but humors was something else. Humors was, was a real passion project. And that isn't to say you can make a career doing passion project after passion project. You certainly can't. But in order to, to answer the question of what my objectives are, are for the future, I not that I tend not to have them. It's just that I'm open to seeing. I never could have envisaged that I would write something else. And now I'm writing another play. Mm. But if you asked me that maybe five years ago, I, that never would have been my answer. So I think it's really important to be open to what comes your way and to really see how you're feeling at the time and trust that and let it and, and let that shape it mm-hmm. you know let, let mm-hmm. that let your career go that way if it wants to so I'm writing one of the uh, a play for Ireland um, plays for Fishamble um, and I've decided to give myself a very daunting task of writing for seven people oh. um, and not one and that is really difficult but I want that I wanted the challenge and I wanted to like really dive into something and um and challenge myself and um, it certainly is that and I also had um, another idea that I got uh, some funding for from the the Dunleary patron artist bursary so I'm doing that as well and um, a production company a film production company are interested in turning Humours Abandoned into a feature excellent so um, I also have that to be thinking of as well so yeah I, I definitely have objectives with regards to my acting I'd love to do more but um at the moment, I'm just, I'm happy to see where the writing takes me to. Mm. And with the, that's, that's really exciting with the humor, well, all of it's really exciting, but with the humor's abandoned and like the possibility of a feature film, <laughs> are they, is that something that you would be also writing the screenplay for? Or Yeah, well, initially when it was put to me, they said, we have writers in mind. And I was like, uh, yeah. And I chatted to Stephanie about it and she's like, well, how do you feel about that? And I said, I'm well. She's like, say it. I was like, well, I'd kind of like to write it. And she's like, well, then say that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shaking right in the email. Um, is it OK? <laughs> and yeah, they were very supportive about that notion. Um, I think 
it might slow things up a little, certainly. But I thought, you know, Humor's Abandon was based on, loosely based on my dancing career. Certainly well, the last third was completely made up, but two thirds of it anyway. Mm. And that's 18 years of, of my life. And so if I just had someone else kind of getting the, the, the bullet point details, they wouldn't color it in the way that I know it to be. Yeah. Um, that is so important for it to be done. Um, and certainly if it's going to connect with an Irish dancing audience, you have to get the little details right. Yeah. And that's, I, I found in writing humours, um, I thought it was going to be not very relatable to most people because it's based on something so niche. But I found in being extremely detailed about creating this world, it made it infinitely relatable. Because yeah. I had people coming up to me afterwards going, oh my God, it's just like my old swimming meets. Or your teacher was just like my piano teacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so hopefully the film goes the same way and it's funny because like even uh, I've never I've never met Stephanie but like the two you've spoken about her twice there and she'd be someone um, one of the things that I'd love to do going forward is to like is to write for TV and, and to, to do something kind of comparable to what she would have done with Can't Cope Won't Cope but it's so interesting because I remember hearing her speak I think it was on a podcast on Irishman Abroad podcast yeah, I'm not sure Jarlitz. if you listeners yeah, Jarlett's yeah, one yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I thought it was fascinating because she was talking you know very openly just about like some of the frustrations she had about her experience like writing it in the sense of it was those little things that like she felt that she you know that because uh, I guess just it was just it was interesting drawing that comparison of her being like well do you want to would you like to write it well tell them that and you know it was interesting in hearing her is like I might have liked to have been there because I might have been able to give better instruction of like it was some I can't remember but it was something in the shower yes. maybe it was like yeah, something was, shampoo or two two bottles of shampoo and she said no if you're like living with your best friend you just have one bottle of shampoo right obviously yeah you know? and I was like that that that's exactly what it is yeah. like that's what yeah. it is like that's the the little things that like. That, that make it real for you or they don't you know yeah, what I mean for sure it's amazing yeah. yeah think about the movie um, <laughs> oh my god I brought this up the other day that's why it just came to mind yeah. Green Card okay with, um, Andy McDowell and that French actor what's his name Gerard Depardieu yes uh, Gerard Depardieu very good yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed that no I've just said Gerard Depardieu no Max but uh, the whole it's a brilliant movie from the 90s and they have to prove that they are actually in a relationship and uh, they're only marrying for a green card but they have to like plead their case or convince their case officer that this is um, the real deal mm. and I think they get ca- I, can't, I haven't seen it in years but they get you know caught out at the last minute because I think one of them doesn't know what way the fridge door opens or something like that like they're like okay so make us a cup of tea and they're just not so fluid with with the kitchen in the way that you would be if you properly yeah. lived there yeah and I've often thought about that in regards to detail about things that, you know, and whenever I'm writing, it's it's detail rich, you know. Actually, Stephanie had to come out my script a little bit with the sledgehammer because I'd gotten in like too, too into the detail, too into the d- description of things. Um, but that is that is something that I, I always appreciate when I when I go read a book or when I see a play or something like that. Those little touches and flurries really make it relatable and make it maybe exciting. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Right, we have time for one more. Okay. So let's do it. All right, here we go. Number 58. Do you have it? No, I don't. No worries. Number it's f- one out of six I got. Duh. Duh. Hey, look. <laughs> oh, kind of a nice way to finish. We kind of touched on it, but um, this is a little bit more specific, speaking of. So, in terms of artistic creation, what drives you to do what you do? Um. Again, I'm going to mention Stephanie. Uh. I was sitting in Grass Market at the Edinburgh Fringe last year 
and she asked me that question that your re- relations ask you what's next mm. and uh, I said I don't really know and she said well next time you're performing humour so tonight or whatever tomorrow I want you to stand on the stage after your warm up in the empty auditorium and I want to you to imagine being in your next play and what are you about to say in that moment and and I thought of something and my eyes just welled up and she said I don't want you to tell me what you're thinking right now but that's your next play and it's interesting like that's the thing that I got um, funding for from from Don Leary mm. um, now I haven't touched it in ages which is why I'm not going to talk about it mm-hmm. but um, I think you always know what it is like I, I don't think you need to decide yes necessarily what what the next thing is to to write I think it's just it's there it's like there. as long as you you just put pen to paper you don't have to go oh god now what am I going to write about you know what to write about mm. yeah mm. yeah amazing that's a very short answer yeah that's a very good answer Max <laughs> um, McCullough thanks so much for doing this ah thanks um, for having me Tom of course would you do me a favour would you tell me about any things you want to talk about so I know you're going away with um, uh, Claps and Horse yes or any yes. other little bits and bobs that are come up let us let us know um, yeah as I said well <laughs> if anyone's in Bergen <laughs> in Norway huge huge personality bingo community there yeah <laughs> imagine yeah. we got one even <laughs> gas um, what are we now Wednesday the 5th so we're there we're flying out tomorrow so we're there performing Friday night and Saturday night in Bergen um, it's a play that was on in the Dublin Fringe Festival last year called Requiem for the Truth mm. in association with the Stomptown Brass Band um, I'm filling in for uh, Ruth McGill, who is uh, otherwise occupied for these two performances. But that's actually going on tour. So there's dates for people to check out. I'm sure they're available on the Claps and Horse website. It's going all over Ireland. And um, yeah, uh, and then it's coming back to Dublin, I think, in November. Um, and other than that, I am a busy little writing monkey at the moment. So a play for Ireland, um, our first round submission deadline is December. So I'm kind of gearing towards that. Uh, so I can't really announce any like particular showings or, 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 or times for that. Um, yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I That's don't great. Know. Yeah. I mean, there's so yeah, much yeah, theatre. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing Next Stage this year. Oh, brilliant. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing every show from the Dublin Theatre Festival bar, I think, too. Um, and the Fringe is coming up like next week. Yeah. This week. I think there's some stuff starting this yeah, week, possibly. Yeah, yeah, this weekend, maybe. So, um, yeah, rather than plug my own stuff just you know see as many fringe and Dublin theatre shows as you can Dublin theatre festival shows as you can and be inspired yeah and then follow that inspiration love it <laughs> Maggie McCullough thanks for playing personality bingo oh thanks for having me Tom So guys, that was the epic Mags McCall of playing Personality Bingo. Mags, if you are listening, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. It was a pleasure getting to sit down and chat to you and get to know you that little bit better. So thank you so much. Um, as always, guys, a few quick thank yous to the boss woman, to the brilliant Erin Lindsay for mixing, editing and producing this podcast and for just generally being a ray of sunshine uh, in, in in my Facebook messages from time to time. It's uh, always lovely. Um, to the brilliant uh, Leah Moore and Anthony Manley. I had to think about it because they're just that good mind-numbingly good uh, and as always to Conor Nolan for his beautiful artwork um, to Paddy O'Leary and Alan Bennett thank you so much lads for having us part of the network as always it's a pleasure and to you guys for listening if you do enjoy the podcast 
if it is something that you like and you do listen all the way to the end like a rock star uh, then please do give us uh, give us a rating give us a, a, a tweet a Facebook uh, shout out whatever it is um, it really does help to spread the word and it uh, means the world to me if you do it um, but the main thing is thanks so much for listening and please tune back in next week for another episode of Personality Bingo with Tom Moore.